Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is John Fulmer, and this is my brother Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the scriptures. That's right. We love them. This episode, we are going over the Come Follow Me lesson for March 4th through 10th, 2024. This is covering 2 Nephi chapters 20 through 25. And now let's bring out the star of the show, the scriptures. Welcome, Scriptures! Hooray! And now let's consult the Scripturematic 6000 to find out how long it will take to read this week's reading. 31 minutes, 4 seconds. Wonderful. And what would that be daily? 4 minutes, 26 seconds. That is so easy to do. If you want to take it chapter by chapter, we've got time codes here. Otherwise, buckle up and we'll talk about them all together. And now, part 2 of The Isaiah Chapter. So we're starting in 2 Nephi chapter 20, and here we find that the woe has returned. Remember that woe refers to intense sorrow or suffering. So let's start with the first woe in verse 1. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that write grievousness, which they have prescribed. To turn aside the needy from judgment, to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. And what will ye do in the day of visitation, and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will ye flee for help, and where will ye leave your glory? Without me they shall bow down under the prisoners, they shall fall under the slain. For all this... His anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Now remember that the Lord's arm is a poetic descriptor of his power. When Isaiah says God's hand is stretched out still, in this setting it means there is more punishment God will mete out by his power, for his anger is not turned away. Let's go on with verse 5. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. Now, check your footnote. That means Assyria is the rod of my anger and my wrath is a staff in their hand. Going on with verse 6. I will send him against an hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Notice again how God will use other nations or leaders to punish his rebellious people Israel. In this case, he is using Assyria as the rod of his anger. The seminary manual summarizes the upcoming verses. In verses 7 through 19, Isaiah prophesied that after the Assyrians had fulfilled the Lord's purposes in punishing Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel, the Lord would destroy the Assyrians because of their pride and wickedness. This destruction is symbolic of the destruction the proud and wicked will experience at the second coming of Jesus Christ. In verses 20 through 34, Isaiah foretold that the Assyrian army would destroy many cities as it marched toward Jerusalem. However, Jerusalem would be miraculously spared. Remember our lesson about Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 19. And that brings us to 2 Nephi chapter 21, or Isaiah 11. Nephi continued to record the words of Isaiah, who used several symbols as he prophesied of important events that would occur in the latter days. 
So let's take a look at those, starting in verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The stem in verse 1 seems to be referring to the stump of a tree that has been cut down. Notice the sprout growing from the stem, which Isaiah called a rod or branch. I'll put an image with labels on the screen. If the stem of Jesse, the kingly line of David, remember Jesse was David's father, is a stump of a tree that has been cut down, then what is the rod or new growth that comes from it? Doctrine and Covenants section 113 verses 1 through 6 offers inspired definitions for this symbolism. And we'll take a look at that in a minute when we get to 2 Nephi chapter 21 verse 10. But first, in verses 2 through 9, Isaiah described some of the Savior's characteristics and testified that his judgments are righteous. Isaiah also prophesied of conditions during the millennium, the thousand-year period of peace following the Savior's second coming. Now let's take a look at verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. The Institute Manual says insight regarding the Lord's kingdom in the latter days is interwoven with the messianic prediction in 2 Nephi 21 verse 1, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Latter-day Revelation identifies this rod as a servant in the hands of Christ. The idea of a Latter-day servant is repeated poetically in 2 Nephi 21.10, this time referred to as a root of Jesse. This root is identified as an individual who will hold the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. The prophet Joseph Smith was such an individual. So also is each succeeding prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Nice. Well, let's go on in the chapter then, verse 11. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. In short, from the places where God's people shall be scattered. And it's a lot of places. Right. Going on, verse 12. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, or a standard, or flag, or banner. Going on. And shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So in the last days, the Lord has restored his church through the prophet Joseph Smith and is gathering his people, and there is no more important work than helping the Lord gather his people in. Now in verses 13 through 16, Isaiah described the destruction of various kingdoms as an illustration of the destruction of the wicked at the second coming. And that brings us to 2 Nephi chapter 22, or Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah described the spirit of worship that people will have during the millennium, starting in verse 1. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. 
I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Wow! Can you imagine? Can you relate to these declarations of praise? How has Jesus Christ been a source of strength for you? How has your life changed as you've understood that Jesus is the source of your salvation? How do you show trust in the Savior? How does the Savior help you overcome fear? Explore those questions as you read and study those verses. And we'll go on to 2 Nephi chapter 23. This is also Isaiah chapter 13. In this chapter, Isaiah uses Babylon, an ancient city that is often used in the scriptures to symbolize the wickedness of the world. Here he uses that comparison to describe what will happen to the wicked at the Savior's second coming. Let's look at a sampling of the consequences described for the wicked, or the burden of Babylon. Let's start in verse 5. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, yea, the Lord, and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint. Every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames." Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Going on to verse 11. And I will punish the world for evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay down the haughtiness of the terrible. Going on to verse 15. Every one that is proud shall be thrust through, yea, and every one that is joined to the wicked shall fall by the sword. And in verse 19, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 21, But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there, and the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant places, and her time is near to come, and her day shall not be prolonged, for I will destroy her speedily, yea, for I will be merciful unto my people." but the wicked shall perish. Now notice in verses 21 and 22, Isaiah is painting a picture of the great civilization of man left to the wilderness. Satyrs are otherwise translated as wild goats, and also in verse 22, wild beasts and dragons as hyenas and jackals. And also of an interesting note, the last sentence in verse 22 is not found in modern versions of Isaiah but must have come from the brass plates version of Isaiah. For I will destroy her speedily, 
Yea, for I will be merciful unto my people, but the wicked shall perish. And that brings us to 2 Nephi chapter 24. Here Isaiah describes what the second coming will be like for the righteous. Let's start in verse 1. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, and will yet choose Israel, and set them in their own land, and the strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place, yea, from far unto the ends of the earth, and they shall return to their lands of promise. And the house of Israel shall possess them, and the land of the Lord shall be for servants and handmaids, and they shall take them captives unto whom they were captives, and they shall rule over their oppressors. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve. And it shall come to pass in that day that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon, and say, How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city ceased. The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked, the scepters of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted, and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. So the Lord, who is the greatest of all, has broken the staff of the wicked. He conquers all kings who fight against his people. In the next few verses, Isaiah prophesied of the downfall of the Babylonian king and compared this to the downfall of Lucifer or Satan. Isaiah referred to the fall of Lucifer as another illustration of how the wicked will perish. So let's pick it up in verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and shall consider thee, and shall say, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? I love that image. In other words, what was all the fuss about? To look narrowly upon someone and say, Was that you? Were you the one that was causing so many problems? Compared to God's power, who is Lucifer? Let's keep going in verse 24. The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Then I will bring the Assyrian in my land, and upon my mountains tread him underfoot, Then shall his yoke depart from off them, and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? These chapters of Isaiah's prophecies reflect one of the main messages of the Book of Mormon, that the obedient will prosper and the disobedient will perish. And that brings us to 2 Nephi chapter 25. 
In the first ten verses, Nephi taught that the spirit of prophecy enables people to understand the words of Isaiah. Nephi also testified that the judgments of God come upon all nations according to God's word, and that the Jews had never been destroyed unless God's prophets had first warned them against iniquity and called them to repentance. For example, as forewarned by prophets, many Jews were destroyed and others were carried captive into Babylon shortly after Lehi left Jerusalem, as Nephi mentions in verses 9 and 10. Let's look for what the Jews would experience after being restored to their lands following their captivity in Babylon, starting in verse 12. But behold, they shall have wars and rumors of wars. And when the day cometh that the only begotten of the Father, yea, even the Father of heaven and of earth, shall manifest himself unto them in the flesh, behold, they will reject him because of their iniquities, and the hardness of their hearts, and the stiffness of their necks. Behold, they will crucify him, and after he is laid in a sepulcher, for the space of three days, he shall rise from the dead, with healing in his wings, and all those who shall believe on his name shall be saved in the kingdom of God. Wherefore my soul delighteth to prophesy concerning him, for I have seen his day, and my heart doth magnify his holy name. And behold, it shall come to pass that after the Messiah hath risen from the dead and hath manifested himself unto his people, unto as many as will believe on his name, behold, Jerusalem shall be destroyed again. For woe unto them that fight against God and the people of his church. Wherefore, the Jews shall be scattered among all nations, yea, and also Babylon shall be destroyed. Wherefore, the Jews shall be scattered by other nations. And after they have been scattered, and the Lord hath scourged them by other nations for the space of many generations, yea, even down from generation to generation, until they shall be persuaded to believe in Christ, the Son of God, and the Atonement, which is infinite for all mankind. And when that day shall come, that they shall believe in Christ, and worship the Father in His name, with pure hearts and clean hands, and look not forward any more for another Messiah. Then at that time the day will come that it must needs be expedient that they should believe these things. So Christ the Messiah is the solution. The Jews will be scattered until they understand and believe in Christ the Son of God. Let's take a look at verse 18. Wherefore he shall bring forth his words unto them, which words shall judge them at the last day. For they shall be given them for the purpose of convincing them of the true Messiah, who is rejected by them, and unto the convincing of them that they need not look forward any more for a Messiah to come. For there should not any come, save it should be a false Messiah, which should deceive the people. For there is save one Messiah spoken of by the prophets, and that Messiah is he who should be rejected of the Jews. The words Nephi refers to in verse 18 include the words of the Book of Mormon. These words were written to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, just like we studied about in the title page of the Book of Mormon. That's pretty exciting. Let's pick it up in verse 19. For according to the words of the prophets, the Messiah cometh in six hundred years from the time that my father left Jerusalem. 
and according to the words of the prophets, and also the word of the angel of God, his name shall be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, in the scriptures, the word name can be used to represent a person or to represent his or her power or authority. Thus, another way of saying that Jesus Christ is the only name whereby we can be saved is Jesus Christ is the only person with the power to save us, or Jesus Christ is the only person who can save us. The Institute Manual adds, It is significant that the name Jesus Christ appears often in the Book of Mormon. The worship of the source of salvation, clearly identified as Jesus Christ, is a common tie between members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the ancient worshipers of Christ in the early Americas. He is also the same individual who established his church among the New Testament saints, and it was Jesus Christ in whose name Adam was baptized. Thus, the saints in all ages of the world look to Jesus Christ as the source of strength and salvation, who Nephi testified is the Son of God. Love it. Let's keep going in verse 20. And now, my brethren, I have spoken plainly that ye cannot err. And as the Lord God liveth that brought Israel up out of the land of Egypt and gave unto Moses power that he should heal the nations after they had been bitten by the poisonous serpents, if they would cast their eyes unto the serpent, which he did raise up before them, and also gave him power that he should smite the rock and the water should come forth. Yea, behold, I say unto you that as these things are true and as the Lord God liveth, there is none other name given under heaven, save it be this Jesus Christ, of which I have spoken, whereby man can be saved. Nice. So verses 10 through 20 are Nephi's message to the Jews. Verse 21 begins Nephi's message to the children of Lehi. In verses 21 and 22, Nephi prophesies that his writings should be passed down to subsequent generations who would be judged by what those writings contained. Let's look at verse 23. For we labored diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren, to believe in Christ, and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. Grace is such a key word. Grace is a gift from Heavenly Father given through His Son, Jesus Christ. The word grace, as used in the scriptures, refers primarily to the enabling power and spiritual healing offered through the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. For more information, check out the Bible Dictionary under the heading, Grace. The seminary manual includes this great quote from President Dieter F. Uchtdorf. This comes from the April 2015 General Conference. He says, quote, I wonder if sometimes we misinterpret the phrase, after all we can do. We must understand that after does not equal because. We are not saved because of all that we can do. Have any of us done all that we can do? Does God wait until we've expended every effort before he will intervene in our lives with his saving grace? Many people feel discouraged because they constantly fall short. They know firsthand that the Spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. They raise their voices with Nephi in proclaiming, My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. 
I am certain Nephi knew that the Savior's grace allows and enables us to overcome sin. This is why Nephi labored so diligently to persuade his children and brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. After all, that is what we can do. And that is our task in mortality. Today and forevermore, God's grace is available to all whose hearts are broken and whose spirits are contrite. End quote. Also, Elder D. Todd Christofferson said, quote, We do not need to achieve some minimum level of capacity or goodness before God will help. Divine aid can be ours every hour of every day, no matter where we are in the path of obedience. But I know that beyond desiring His help, we must exert ourselves, repent, and choose God for Him to be able to act in our lives consistent with justice and moral agency. Close quote. This is from his talk in the October 2014 General Conference. Now, in verses 24 and 25, Nephi and others knew that the law of Moses would be fulfilled through the atonement of Jesus Christ, and that the Savior's disciples would eventually no longer be required to keep it. However, the faithful Nephites continued to obey the law at this time because they knew the law pointed them to Jesus Christ, who would bring them salvation. Let's take a look at verse 26. And we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies, that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Now, what do we take away from this verse? If this list of actions is what helped Nephi and his people to teach their children to know what source to look for a remission of their sins, might this be good counsel for us? As we talk of Christ, rejoice in him, and preach of him, how might that help point those around us, family and friends, to look to Christ for a remission of their sins? The Institute Manual includes this great quote from Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. This comes from the October 1994 General Conference. He says, quote, My greatest thrill and the most joyful of all realizations is that I have the opportunity, as Nephi phrased it, to talk of Christ, rejoice in Christ, preach of Christ, and prophesy of Christ. Wherever I may be and with whomever I may find myself until the last breath of my life is gone. Surely there could be no higher purpose or greater privilege than that of special witness of the name of Christ in all the world. But my greatest anxiety stems from that very same commission. A line of scripture reminds us with searing understatement that they which preach the gospel should live the gospel. Beyond my words and teachings and spoken witness, my life must be part of that testimony of Jesus. My very being should reflect the divinity of this work. I could not bear it if anything I might ever say or do would in any way diminish your faith in Christ, your love for this church, or the esteem in which you hold the holy apostleship." End quote. Well, let's pick it up in verse 28. And now behold, my people, ye are a stiff-necked people. Wherefore I have spoken plainly unto you, that ye cannot misunderstand. And the words which I have spoken shall stand as a testimony against you, for they are sufficient to teach any man the right way. 
For the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. For by denying him ye also deny the prophets and the law. And now behold, I say unto you, that the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. And Christ is the Holy One of Israel, wherefore ye must bow down before him and worship him with all your might, mind, and strength, and your whole soul. And if ye do this, ye shall in no wise be cast out. Amen, Nephi. That pleading is the very reason he quoted these chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah testifies of that very truth. Come unto Christ. He is the right way. Give yourself to him and let him make something amazing with your life. Can we do more to worship him with all our might or mind or strength? Can we do more to give our whole soul over to him? Those are great questions to consider as we study these chapters. I'm particularly compelled and reminded of how important the grace of Jesus Christ is in helping us to do that. I don't know about you, but when I think of those terms of all my might, mind, and strength, my whole soul, I don't think I can do that alone. But with Christ, I have been able to, piece by piece, line by line, give myself over to him. There's still a lot more to do, but it comes with his help. Don't be afraid to reach out to him. Don't be afraid to call upon his grace to help you. Well, congratulations. You made it through... The Isaiah Chapters. Not so bad, huh? I'm so proud of us. Yeah. That's great. Well, there's more to come. Just because we've made it through the Isaiah Chapters doesn't mean that Nephi doesn't have more to teach us about these great prophecies. So keep reading your scriptures, and we'll talk to you more about them in our next lesson. We'll see you then. This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but we're really big fans.